You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Therapy for Women podcast. How's everybody doing? I'm doing good this week. We have Andrea with us today, one of our therapists, and we're really excited that she's here. Hi, everyone. So Andrea, you are one of our therapists at Therapy for Women's Center. Tell us a little bit about like yourself, your background, what you specialize in, all those good things. Yeah, I feel like a little bit of a client because that's how I start an intake. And so <laughs> it's funny to be on the other side, but in podcast form. So I am an art therapist. I'm also a talk therapist. I think you can't be an art therapist without having background in talking to people. So it really depends where my client's at, um, what they want to do. So I guess that backs up into what art therapy is. Should I go there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I like to explain it as art therapy is the use of art in therapy in the way of product or process. And so that means that we're going to introduce art materials in a way that you're focused on the art making. Are you using markers, paint, sewing, anything really? And it's about the process of what you're doing and being present with the materials, which also Mm -hmm. can slide into the product-based art therapy of like, what are you creating? And what are you trying to say with the art? Is it symbolism? Is it a message? Is it a mural? Is it a vision you're trying to get out. So it is using art in a way that's therapeutic that kind of slides into is art as therapy. So that can get confusing because I think it's art can be therapeutic, but it's not necessarily therapy or art therapy unless maybe you're doing it with a therapist. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes, it does. Because that's exactly where my mind was going, where it was like, do you need a therapist to like explore through your art, art I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good question. And and I, I don't think individually you necessarily do, right? Like, you know what you're making, what your art means if you're an artist or whatever that looks like. Um, but I think if you are touching into a little bit of a deeper meaning for yourself or what art means to you, it's hard to do alone. And mm-hmm. it's a different mm-hmm. experience having someone there just there for you. Yeah, that makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, my mind goes to like we could say the same thing about general talk therapy, right? Like you could be insightful and journal and do all of these things on your own, but there's a benefit to having a second person there to challenge you, to support you, to offer you different perspectives. And you don't have that when you're doing this alone and like in a bubble. Yes, exactly. What's your favorite medium for art therapy? I think as myself, I really like pastels and oil or chalk. And I'm, I'm making a gesture with my hands that no one can see <laughs> of the texture of it. And I, and I recently enjoyed watercolor. Mm-hmm. As an art therapist, I like what my client likes. <laughs> okay. So I'm choosing materials that make sense to them. And I think that's also what makes a difference as an art therapist versus doing art by yourself or with someone who's maybe not licensed. Mm-hmm. How do you determine which materials to use? Like, do you like bring an array and are like, 
here's all the things. Which one do you gravitate to? Yeah, yeah. I'm picturing me like in a trench coat with with all the materials. (laughs) Look at all of my goods. (laughs) No, and and that's, I think it really depends on so many things. And I guess the way that I like to break it down is, is like, is it a new client? What What are they in therapy for? What is your environment? Right. And so you're thinking about structured material. So if you, they maybe are, you know, it's a first session, I don't, I'm probably not going to bring out paint because that can okay. be really overwhelming and overstimulating. A first session, I would probably do something more controlled, like pencils or markers or paper. Mm. So first session, you guys are jumping right in to art material. It depends on the client. Okay. Do you have clients that come to you specifically asking for art therapy or do you tend to suggest it? If someone is checking out our website and they see that I'm Mm -hmm. a therapist and they mention that in the intake that they want to, then I will like, yeah, I will bring it up and I'll see how we can bring it into session. If someone is not looking for art therapy and they just match with me or they liked me for other reasons, then Mm -hmm. I will suggest it in the sense of like, I think if I think it would be helpful for them to maybe have a different way of processing Mm -hmm. feelings other than talk, or if they're open to it, if they maybe are just trying to try something new. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. I was I was thinking too, like, with art therapy, you said to help you process. What does art therapy help with? Like, so obviously you mentioned processing things. Yes. <laughs> um, very general. But me. is <laughs> – well, no, is there, is there anything specific that art therapy helps with or – uh, like a certain population or certain like disorders or or anything anything specific. Yeah, yeah. I think what I, I think what I learned in grad school was that anyone could do it. Yeah, like, I think that was really ingrained in our training of like any population or person can connect with art materials or creativity. It's just finding what the, what makes sense. So if someone comes to me, maybe with trauma history, art making can be helpful because it's a different way to process your emotions rather than just talking. And Mm -hmm. if you have any knowledge on trauma, we've learned that it's stored in the body. And so when you experience a traumatic event, maybe your memory is not all the way there or you remember it differently, but your body has a reaction or a feeling. And so when you're Mm -hmm. using an art material, it is the somatic physical experience of using an art material that you don't get from just talking. Hmm. Do you think that's why adult coloring books became so popular? I feel like this is a catchphrase that I will use. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's our favorite. That's our favorite, our favorite Freeze. line on this yes, podcast. We love to say that. It is. It is. I think that the art therapy community, when these started becoming popular, like everyone had an opinion and it was really confusing because I think they brought so much peace or like they just helped a lot of people and they continue to do that of like having a space to use an art material that is focused it's structured time there's a sense of accomplishment Um, there's so many things that you can get out of it and at the same time it's not with an art therapist and you're not really producing maybe something new or from yourself right yeah that makes sense no it does that's like what I was thinking I was I was like, I don't know, Gabby, what your thoughts are, but my mind goes to like something like a adult coloring book is relaxing. Mm-hmm. It's grounding. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily helping me process yeah trauma anxiety what have you yeah okay. i yeah i was gonna say like i have a couple different ones you know i have my curse word mm-hmm. uh, adult archiving book and then i have um what's her name jenny lawson her like it's a mess in here coloring adult coloring Ooh, book. i don't there's, know that like, one some different like prompts and stuff mm-hmm. in it it's a pretty cool book i actually like that one a lot but it's also just like something to like z- zone out on once in a while and like hyper focus on which i like to do which yeah which is which is totally fine right like i i think Mm -hmm. they serve a purpose for a lot of people i just think in the context of it being art therapy is when it gets confusing yeah Yeah. i was gonna say like i don't know if i would necessarily say like it's like i i I think it falls more under like Mm self-care right like Mm-hmm. Like doing a activity that reminds me of childhood and that I just am focusing on that at that moment in time and it brings me joy and there I, get, I don't have a screen in my face yeah. and mm-hmm. I'm not being bombarded by like 700 other things. I'm just focusing on that singular thing. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's also why I like my cricket so much. <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on, even though it makes me really angry and frustrated. Yes. Well, no, I think that's... <laughs> I think that's such a great point. And if you know that about yourself, maybe that's something if you were in art therapy, you'd bring to your therapist of like, I like making art because it makes me feel really grounded. And it gives me a sense of focus. And Mm -hmm. so finding maybe something else to do with those materials in art therapy that on a topic or an image that means something to you. Like, as we're talking, I'm thinking, maybe if I had someone who was really into coloring books, I would suggest, well, let's make our own you know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> make an outline yeah. of what you want and let's figure that out and then make a book and copies and then you color it in. Like, what do you want to make? Yeah. So that's the way my mind thinks of kind of these things um, of like, how can you internalize it for yourself? Like when I worked with kids, I had someone who loved board games and play therapy is great. And it was in itself working with children just as valuable. But because I was an art therapist, I was able to have the lens of being like, would you want to make a board game? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. So yeah. And so we made Was it, like a, it together. A coping skills board game or something like that? I, I can't remember the exact details, but I think what we learned from it was it was so much about making it. It was problem solving. Mm-hmm. It was sitting mm-hmm. with a mistake that you maybe made this piece wrong or you don't like the way oh. it came out and okay, taking yeah. turns when we play it together. Like there was just so much to get out <laughs> of it versus me pulling out the board game, which you can get from too. But it, I think that's a good example of being creative in therapy in this lens. Yeah. Yeah. Art therapy is maybe perceived as a, a childlike thing that, mm, that I would. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> that I work with only children and mm-hmm. it's not, it's really not. We all can be creative and it's not about being good at art at all. And so it's just kind of getting over that hump of like, when, when did you last make art anyway? Why are you resistant? Yeah. Why do you think this is for just for kids? Mm-hmm. Mm. I love I love that so, so much. <laughs> it brings me back to what Gabby said earlier actually about like this is how we play as adults. Like this is a way to be creative and get in touch with that child side of us. Like if that's how you view it, I mm-hmm. mean, right? Like if you're like, oh, well, being creative in this way is a child activity. Mm-hmm. Oh, helping someone get in touch and being like, hey, like, when was the last time you got in touch with that side of yourself? When was the last time you played? Like, when you rested and played and 
got to be a little kid-like again. And if you can do that through a creative medium, then I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Love everything about it. (laughs) Andrea, earlier when we asked you what your favorite medium was, you had said like pastels and charcoal. And um, this is uh, maybe a more personal question, but I'm just curious like why that's your favorite medium. Like is there a reason behind it? Um, I don't know if there's an exact reason. I guess that's Mm -hmm. a good question for me in my therapy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it just – it became – it's – structured yet malleable so mm-hmm. when you're using it um, it's making straight lines but I also can like play around with it with mixing colors smudging, smudging using hands and then when it comes mm-hmm. to watercolor I think that was actually an interesting shift for me in grad school that prior to school I really like in my younger years did not like watercolor at all That's so temperamental so temperamental. It was not my thing. I always just didn't like my art that I used with it. And that's kind of what I needed though. (laughs) Because I needed to figure out how to be patient and light and wait and be a little loose. So yeah, like you can't control watercolor as much as you can as like acrylics or oil paints or even pastels, right? Like Mm -hmm. Those are very easy to control, like control. Where watercolor, it is just like going everywhere. Yes. yes. And so when you asked me earlier, who, like, who would I recommend for what materials? Maybe that's some mm. like an anxious someone who's coming in for anxiety. I wouldn't do that for a first, second, third, fourth. Like that would be something maybe we work up to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To tolerate discomfort of not a lot of control. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, thinking about that, Andrea, so you also work with anxiety. That's like a big part of your specialty. Can you tell us a little bit about just what it's like to, you know, to work with anxiety and help others manage it and and all of that? Yeah. I, I think I can go into a little bit about me at this point. I have anxiety. It's almost kind of strange to say out loud in this setting, Mm. but it's, I think maybe it's important to say that out loud, that that's a little bit of why I'm a therapist. Mm-hmm. I can do a little bit of backtracking of my experience. And my parents were divorced at a young age, probably around when I was seven or eight. And I think they tried to get me to play therapy. And I said, no. Mm-hmm. And I was very <laughs> resistant. And that was fine. And then over the years, um, I kind of just, you know, figured it out and dealt with it. Uh, But I was always just kind of like this anxious kid that carried a lot of worry Mm -hmm. and I think came out a lot in, I did some sports. Um, Gabby, I know you cheered. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I did some cheer and I was really anxious and I had asthma and which was very real, but I was having what I thought asthma attacks before cheerleading. (laughs) Oh, and in hindsight, those were like ninety nine percent sure those were panic or anxiety attacks. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say that sounds like panic, right? Like sounds like you're having straight panic attacks. Performance anxiety, yeah. I was really nervous, so I was performing, and I didn't really know mm-hmm. what it was. And you know, I had really bad asthma, so they were like, "Oh, maybe you know, it's just you're having an asthma attack before." And now I know the difference many years later. And so 
that was my experience. I didn't, I, and I think looking back, I don't work with kids really as much right now at our practice, but that was kind of my viewpoint of wanting to work with kids of like wishing that I would have had maybe the support that I needed. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. kind of saying like somebody pushed you a little bit more or maybe like not just say like you would say no and then be like, well, why don't we try? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or try a little bit differently. Yeah. Try again. And and I think a lot of it maybe was with the times. Like I don't think there was as much psycho ed as there is now. Definitely. But like I you know, yeah. like if maybe there was someone in the school saying like this is what feelings are. <laughs> this is yeah. right. Like that didn't mm-hmm. exist. Social emotional learning, I think, back then. So I think about it like that. And then I think about my older self and my teen years of like, wow, I really could have used someone to help me understand my anxiety and other life things that were going on on the side um, in my personal mm-hmm. life. And so then I go to school and mm-hmm. I've always loved art and I've always loved like just photography, making things. And that doesn't really excite people when you say you, what you want to be when you grow up. They're like, okay, well, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. And I took a psychology class, I think maybe my junior or senior year. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I, I understand this on a personal and an educational level. I had interest. And my freshman year of college, I told my advisor that I heard about this thing called art therapy. And she was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> like, that was really helpful. Thank yes. you so like, much. Thank you for that insight. Thank you so much. You were not helpful. And then I started looking at my classes I wanted to take and my undergrad had an intro to art therapy class and I took it and I was like, sold. Like This makes sense to me. I'm interested. And from that point on, I tried to like, I started to like tailor my education to a psych major with an art and design minor. Okay. And then I got to applying to graduate school and that's where I pursued art therapy on a master's level. Nice. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's a, so I just like sounds, it's quite the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but in a, in a, in a, in a good way, like in the sense that I love being able to see like where you started and how you kind of got to each step to where you are now. I, I don't know. I always enjoy those kinds of stories. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's pretty awesome that your school had like an intro to art therapy course. Like that's pretty interesting. Was yeah. that like, were you at an art school, like heavy school or not really? Yes, they did have a great art program. I don't know, um, Montclair State University, if anyone's okay. familiar. So they have a pretty good art program. And I was just undecided on what I wanted to do. And I was interested in, I did some graphic design stuff and photography. So I was like doing that too. And then I mm-hmm. found this intro to art therapy course. And I was like, this this makes sense to me. You're like, this feels like a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the first times in my life I really felt like I knew what I was doing and what I wanted. It's pretty insightful. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a good feeling though. I'm just over here like beaming. I wish someone could see my face. I'm just like, that's so nice. And (laughs) yeah, it, it was an interesting thing to find of like, wow, this is right under my nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's kind of amazing how these things find us in life too and how we 
how we just end up where we end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Very true. Yeah. yeah. Like we talked about uh, like another episode about like a job, a career and a calling. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of feels like that's coming back to that same idea. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. We were, we were all, we were talking with Maddie, one of our other therapists and everyone who's listening may or may not have heard her episode at this point when this one comes out. That's what she was saying, that she felt very called to therapy. And Gabby said she felt the same way. And I said, I do. But I also question regularly being mm-hmm. a therapist just because it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So, but for uh, Andrea, for you, do you do you feel like being a therapist is a calling or does it feel more like a career or more like just a job? Oh, I don't mm-hmm. – calling feels really, I don't know, like intense or like out of this world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I don't know if it's a calling – Mm-hmm. But I feel really connected to being a therapist. Like yeah. it makes sense for me and I, I love what I do, but I don't know if this is a calling for me. I feel yeah. like that's on the same wavelength as calling. Like it's just <laughs> – yeah. I feel like that just like depends on what you believe yeah. in kind of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like because like I don't know. I feel really connected to therapy in that way. So It's definitely not a job. Like this is not something that for me I clock in and clock out of. Mm-hmm. yeah in my in my heart anyway that sounds a little cheesy but it, it's not yeah. right like I, I there's a lot mm-hmm. of care and heart that goes into what we do and I, I feel like I, I was always kind of maybe the the sounding board for people growing up and a listener and um, I feel like a little bit wise beyond my years with my family and being a child of divorce and um, so I feel like it's a role that really makes sense for me yeah, no, it definitely does. And so kind of backing up and, and going back to art therapy, what's that process like? Because I know you mentioned earlier before we had started recording that to become an art therapist, um, the just the licensing or the certification and everything is, is different. So what's that like? Yes, I, it's a little different. I think you all did a wonderful job explaining, what is it, MFT, LPC, and LCSW. LCSW. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. going to A, B, C, D, E, F, G it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Alphabet soup of therapists. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's so confusing when you start. It really like no one really tells you what they mean or what the difference is. It's a lot of personal research. And so for me, um, I was New York based originally. And what I received as my license is the LCAT. So that stands okay. for your license, um, licensed creative arts therapist. Oh, okay. And that is under the umbrella of creative arts therapies, um, music, dance, movement, and drama, I believe, and okay. art therapists. Okay. Hmm. Amazing. You know, it's funny. I've totally seen the letters behind your name before. And up until this moment, I had no idea what they stood for. Just, <laughs> Neither did I. I'm a cool cat. Neither did I. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> cat. Not really sure what that means. Got to be something from New York. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like really into cats, which is another uh, <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> so it's an New York licensure for our therapy is an LCAT, which I can only speak to New York and Pennsylvania because that's where I'm licensed in. And in Pennsylvania, it is um, an LPC. So it falls under the umbrella of the licensed professional okay. counselors. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, okay. New York, they have like a specific category for art 
creative arts therapists mm-hmm. where in PA they're just like, nope, everybody is under one group. Yes. Yes. Which okay. is super confusing if you move anywhere besides where you get your original license as an art therapist. Okay. And then there's an ATRBC licensure. Fern just made a face like, what? I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so the ATRBC is mm-hmm. um, the licensure that's on the national scale for art therapists. So mm-hmm. some sort of national understanding of what art therapy is. So if you do move states or you are somewhere else, like if you have your ATRBC, you are somewhat nationally understood and covered. You you become a registered board certified art therapist. And so that is you do separate hours under um, an art therapist or a creative arts therapist themselves. And then you also are taking the exam. And so then you, you become board certified on the national. Oh. Oh. Wow. wow. That's a very cool. Yeah. I, it also sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds very cool. Yeah. It sounds like a ton of work. Uh, also, like another way that our field is, you know, a um, pyramid program. <laughs> pyramid scream. Yes. Yes. Just a giant MLM. Yes. Like I, you understand it, why these things exist and why they're important and then how they do it. You're like, it doesn't have to be this hard. It doesn't have to be this hard. It doesn't have to be this expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, a, I think that was a big challenge post-graduate school with being an LCAT because you don't have as many licensure, or not licensure, um, insurance coverage opportunities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it, it, I think in a lot of ways, I think that makes you think about the degree differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that was something that I kind of ran into post-grad of who's going to hire an LCAT for insurance purposes. Mm. This might seem like a silly question, but do any insurance companies cover art therapy? Yes, some do. I mean, I'm going to speak for New York um, and they're actually, Mm -hmm. this I don't want to misspeak on, but I think there is, um, they're trying to pass a bill that includes us to be covered by more insurance companies because we have some, but we want to be included on the larger scale with the LCSWs and the mental Mm -hmm. health counselors because it's really a disservice for the community that you're not going to have us yeah. included in, in services. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. And it's just yeah. as, it's just as valuable and, and legitimate as any other like mental health license yeah. or service. My training, we, you know, if you look at people's coursework from different social work programs or mental health programs, I took all the same classes, <laughs> except I took, yeah. mm-hmm additional or they were skewed towards like more information on how it's connected to art therapy but I have all the same training um so it's very interesting that it kind of puts us at a disadvantage Hmm. which is which is I think one of the challenges if I'm going to be honest about art therapy yeah no that that makes sense because like you said you you not only took all the same courses as everybody else if anything, you took more because you had to take art therapy ones as well. Yeah, like I was, I, I did all the human development courses, child, adolescent, adult. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I was applying for my license in PA, they were like, well, you didn't take human development. And I was like, I took human development for children, adolescents, and adults mm-hmm. specific to art therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It wasn't classified as human development. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so French. Just that's- the technicality. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of, I, I mean, everyone's path is different. And I think that was also something really worth mentioning in my graduate program that I really appreciate it is that everyone had a different path to get there. So many different age ranges. Not everyone, you know, had a psychology major. People came from fine arts majors or totally different careers and came back because they love art and therapy later in their Mm -hmm. life. So I think that's also something that happens in other positions Mm -hmm. or licenses. But I noticed, especially with art therapy, that it's really diverse in the different types of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would imagine would would lead to really uh, interesting and satisfying like class discussions and things like that, right? Because everyone's coming from so many different walks of life versus I don't know, let's say traditionally undergrad for example is people who are straight out of high school, not always obviously, but the majority of the population in undergrad is like straight out of mm-hmm. high school and and is just kind of learning life and all of these things. Um and so I imagine it just must be a very satisfying environment to have that many different experiences and opinions and all of that. Yeah, definitely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's like for you to be on the podcast with us today? I know, you know, you have a lot of boundaries around your time and social media and things like that. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, our practice is very um, – a lot of us are like really big on social media and we're there and we're sharing, you know, therapeutic stuff and personal stuff and all the in-betweens. What's that like for you? Yes. I think that is one of the things that had drawn me to therapy for women because of Amanda's presence and that type of reality on social media and mental health. And then I looked at myself and I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm there to have a social media presence as an art therapist or mental health therapist. So I don't have any therapy, social media. Uh, It doesn't mean I'm not available (laughs) to my clients or I'm not in the know. I think for me, I just felt so like going back to maybe the calling of being a therapist. Mm -hmm. Like I just felt like my life was so therapy-esque and I needed a break. And that when I was on social media, I wanted to look at my friends. I wanted to watch videos that made me laugh and really just be myself in that sense and kind of have one place for myself to be and then use therapy, mental health, social media as like a a choice of like, when do I want to look up stuff? And maybe I will eventually make an Instagram. Um, But for right now, it, it was really helpful for me to have some separation between personal and therapy life. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess what brought you to decide you wanted to come on the podcast today? Yeah. Besides us harassing you to come yeah, on. No, no harassment. For an, um, I think I had some gentle pushes to- Pushing? Yeah, to, yeah. to expand um, and be more present in the, in the company. And it was really nerve-wracking for me. I, I came on before we started recording and I shared with Fern and Gabby that I was like, I'm really anxious about this. All week, I kind of had these questions in my head. They sounded like, what will the art therapy community think of you? Uh, what will friends mm-hmm. think? Will your family okay. listen? What will they think? Don't share too much, right. but you want to be real, but 
you know, don't be too real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't say something that you're going to, that you're going to want to say differently. And so a lot of anxious thoughts um, before coming on. And I felt like, you know, I had to really take a step back and use my own coping skills with anxiety of, Hey, like you can do this, you know, art therapy, you know, yourself. So if someone doesn't like what you have to say, like, that's okay. Then you're not Mm -hmm. the therapist or this isn't the episode for them. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like talking myself through it and, and then prepping of like, before we started, I sat down and wrote some notes of things I wanted to say and I can only encourage myself and prep and then leave the rest to um, trusting me of like, I I can probably do this. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a low pressure zone here. Like we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not for you, um, for Gabby or Fern that I feel the pressure from. I think it's just my own anxiety of, of being on a a stage like this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that, I mean, to me, that also makes a lot of sense. Like I, I had shared earlier before we had started recording too, that like I have, um, a good amount of anxiety pretty much every time an episode comes out. Every Tuesday morning I wake up and I'm like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Episode's great. Everything is fine. <laughs> and and for me, and I don't know, Andrea, if you relate to this at all, but for me, a lot of it is about being, quote, like immortalized, mm. if you will. And like what I have put out into the ether mm-hmm. of my own like thoughts and opinions is there forever. Mm-hmm. And in the world that we live in, People get criticized all the time. And I'm very open to constructive criticism and feedback. Yes. It doesn't mean it's not scary to put yourself out there and open yourself up to those things. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, Fern. I think that's maybe something that I wasn't thinking so consciously about. But now that you brought it up, I had a little bit of like aha moment of mm. growing up and being really hyper aware of the internet and mm-hmm. what I posted and what I said, you know, don't post, you know, you looking like this, or if you're at a party, what's in the background. And, you know, I, on my social media, I don't have my full name on because I, I knew that I wanted to be in the mental health field. And I was really, you know, focused on having that as a separate life for me. So that, <laughs> that kind of made sense to me, as you said that of like, yes, whatever you put out there is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've actually said this a couple times in episodes previously that like, we're allowed to take up space, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. We're allowed to take up space. We're allowed to have differing opinions and thoughts and experiences. And we know that by putting those things out there that other people may have conflicting thoughts and feelings and opinions. Um, and it just depends who feels like coming and telling us that they disagree and how yeah. and how do they approach that. Um, yeah, yeah, those those are always my concerns. Well, well I agree. Like, I, I I can take feedback and criticism too, but it's like, how is that being presented, and what does it mean, right? Like, if a client says to me, like, I really, you know, last session was hard for me. Can we do something else? Like, I I think that's great. I think that's how the work mm-hmm. is working. But if someone, you know, listens to the pod or <laughs> sees a blurb about me and is like, I don't like this, or you stink, I'm just. That's like, oh yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Absolutely. I have like, 
I, I'm not going to call it actual trauma, but I definitely was impacted in high school with my voice being made fun of a lot. Yeah. Okay. And one of my biggest anxieties when we started this podcast was that someone somewhere was going to be commenting somewhere or saying something that my voice was super annoying and they hated our podcast because my voice was terrible. <laughs> uh, yes. My own stuff, right? Like no yeah. one, as far as I know, has not come back and said you know that. what? I was um, just going to leave that comment on my burner account. and <laughs> <laughs> On your Finsta? On my Finsta. Uh, <laughs> no, it's so true. Right? We all have these like really personal insecurities that to another person, like you saying that to me, I'm like, why? Like, I would never think that of your voice, but to you, it's so personal and so real. And I, I just think that's mm-hmm. a lot of where, you know, some anxiety or comes from of, of this high awareness or hyper awareness of ourselves and, and what we're putting out there and how it's perceived. And it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The the other side of this too, and I'm really curious what you both think, is the pressure for uh, mental health providers to have social media these days and like mm-hmm. put their thoughts and again opinions and advice and resources and everything out to there all the time. And I don't to me there there is a lot of pressure to be present on the internet if you're trying to build your brand yeah. or or whatnot, mm-hmm. like social media is how we reach a lot of people. Uh, so I'm certainly not bashing that by any means. But I think as a provider, there's a lot of pressure to to kind of conform and be present on these various platforms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, one, I'm curious about both of your opinions on that too. Andrea, for you, considering that pressure, what has that been like for you? Who You know, where you don't have a professional Instagram or things like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see what Gabby has to say and, and you, Fern, because you do have the professional social media side. But for me, I try to engage with the company in different ways. So I've done some blog posts. I'm coming up with a workshop and trying to be present in other ways rather than just me posting. Yeah. Even my clients who, you know, they wouldn't get in touch with me on social media anyway. That's a whole other story. But I... I I exist outside of therapy and they know how to contact me and I'm a real person. But I think the pressure that we have to be like social media stars and therapists is, is a lot, you know, we went to grad school to help people. And if marketing and being front facing isn't your thing, um, I think it's really conflicting. What do you guys think? I'm like in social media, like dropout sometimes. (laughs) I'm real good at po- like reposting and sharing like on my stories, other people's stuff. I used to be better about making my own content. I sometimes, I guess, just feel like I just don't have time these days to make yeah. my own content because it is time consuming. Like yes. it takes a lot of time to get on like Canva or whatever and like do whatever. And now it's like videos. So it's like TikToks and things like that. And like, I, I don't know, like not my favorite mm-hmm. but um i that's why i also find though like talking is easier for me than posting some okay. stuff on social media so like podcast is working yeah i i i agree wholeheartedly i'm i am the same way gabby's even better about social media than i am i post two ways i post repost people's stuff on stories that i'm like yes i agree with this or yes this is helpful 
And two, I repost our podcast episode, <laughs> like, pics- pictures, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And shout out to our social media person that, like, makes all those things for yes. us because <laughs> – Maddie mm-hmm. is a champ and she does it and it's wonderful and she's very creative and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. she takes that pressure she, off of us. Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference and I think for some therapists like it's really enjoyable. Like they like coming up with, you know, things to say and what their post is going to look like and and I think that's great and then I think for people like myself, I'm um, I'm going to lean on Maddie. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I I relate to that wholeheartedly. Yeah. 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 Like sometimes like I think part of it too is like just overthinking it, yeah. right? Like we just overthink it and it's like it's not that deep. Mm-hmm. It's not it that deep. That, it feels, it feels that, that deep. deep. It feels that deep though, right? It does. And we get in our own ways, like, right? Like I'll, I'll be the first to be like, I get in my own way about social media. Like I get in my own way about getting on there and making content and like – I could save 700 mm-hmm. like audio clips. I have 700 ideas. Do I follow through on them? No. No, I do not. <laughs> I, I think what this all comes down to, right, is that anyone, whether you're a therapist or not, right, like you have to follow what feels best for you. So maybe that means more boundaries around work and how you engage with co- your company or your practice or your career, right? Or maybe that means setting – um I don't know, limitations around how much mm-hmm. you post or how often you post. Um, all, all of the, Basically, it's it's you have to follow what feels best for you, whether that means you have an account or you don't have an account, you post frequently, you post once a week. Uh, it all comes down to what feels best for you and what feels manageable. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I feel yeah. like that's kind of what I got to at this point of like I was a bit more rigid and I'd rather be more rigid and then expand to flexibility. And I think that's where I'm at of like, okay, how can I engage in a way that feels better for me? I don't want to be so rigid and, and not expand and grow. Um, mm-hmm. So how can I do that? And that's how I'm here. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> so Andrea, with us kind of coming to the end here, if there was someone who, you know, was maybe thinking that art therapy would be helpful, but they weren't ready to go to therapy yet or couldn't go to therapy yet. Um, do you have any resources or suggestions of what they could do instead of going to art therapy that might be helpful? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good question. I think generally if you are not ready or you can't start therapy yet, um, I always just encourage people to be aware of themselves in a way that may be different. So like just start noticing how you're feeling at different points of the day. Um, how are you talking to yourself? Um, what are the choices that you're making and just getting in touch with you in, in that way. And then maybe in the art therapy sense, if you can't find an art therapist or you're on a wait list or whatever it may be, I would just encourage you to make art and be creative, try new materials, um, try maybe a class in the community, hang out with your friends and make art. That again is not art therapy, but art making has lots of benefits in itself. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are great suggestions. Thank yes. you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You know, thank you for talking with us today. It was so nice to have yes. you on. It was so lovely to have you on. Thank you for joining us and talking about art therapy and the different classifications and all those things. Thanks for having me. I'll be back. Yes. I don't know when or why, but 
<laughs> All right. We love it. Yes. Good. We we didn't ruin coming on a podcast too much. Not yet. So you actually want to we'll come We'll do back. the reviews and then I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. So yes, thank you for coming. And if you like this podcast today, make sure you like us, share us, and follow us. And as always, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.